0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Fabulously Keto podcast and today we have back with us Hannah Boitis from the Low Carb Universe and Hannah Diabetes Expert. Um, Hannah was one of the first people I interviewed when we started recording for Fabulously Keto podcast. So that was a couple of years ago because we interviewed about a year before we launched. Can you believe that Louise?
1: And Jackie, um, you were obviously the one that sort of interviewed, uh, Hannah that time. And, you know, obviously that was before you actually invited me to come along. So I remember listening to that particular interview and thinking, wow, what a dynamic woman. So much energy and passion, you know, for the cause. It was really, really inspiring. So it was really great to actually have an opportunity to to be interviewing her now. One year later, it's it's been. It was really good. It was a great opportunity.
0: Yeah, she's full of energy, and I don't know. You probably noticed it as well. You know, her, she's she's glows even on camera, doesn't she?
1: Mm, absolutely, she has that sort of joy, joy de vivre. You know, that sort of radiates through the zoom. Um, yeah, through the zoom recording, it was wonderful. Yeah. So
0: we asked her back because um she's an expert in type 1 diabetes and having being one herself uh for 36 years. Um so I think this is a really interesting interview because she comes at it from her personal journey but also now that she's studying um diabetes formally so
1: yeah, and I think it's really good. It's one of these great opportunities where, you know, in the past we have these, you know, subject matter experts such as, you know, doctors and other, you know, nutrition folks. And then we actually have Hannah who has both the lived experience and it's really great to get that sort of intimate detail of what it is like as a person living with type 1 diabetes. So we have that first hand account. But she's able to put that therapeutically into her practice and how that's informed her practice. And her practice now, as she will tell, tell you in the interview, is that she's, you know, taking some, um, you know, postgraduate studies and how she's sort of really bringing those two together. Yeah. So why
0: don't you tell us a bit more about Hannah?
1: So Hannah Boytus has lived with type 1 diabetes, as, as Jackie said, for 36 years, which has been her constant companion. And it, it is as if, you know, through her whole life, started to fall into place when she started eating real food in 2011. So since her wake-up call, as she calls it, she has gained much from, you know, getting her health back, and thanks to simply eating the right nutrients for her body. Hannah is a patient leader, an international speaker and soon to be Masters of Science qualified diabetes student taking action who loves patient topics and that are off the beaten track. She's passionate to find motivational and inspiring ways to bring about change in healthcare, which I really hope she does with her studies through her own company, Hannah Diabetes Expert, she has inspired thousands of people with diabetes to live a happier and healthier life by sharing her own story and experiences as well as the puzzle pieces she's helped others to find. She has a profound understanding of how things like nutrition and lifestyle choices can balance diabetes management. She is also the founder of the very first interactive, 100% real food event called the Low Carb Universe. It's Europe's healthiest event, in which we hope that she gets back next
0: year. Yeah, hopefully.
1: So, Jackie, let's hear more from Hannah.
0: Welcome back, Hannah, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you back with us today. Thank you, both of you fabulous ladies. It's beautiful to be back on this fabulous podcast. (laughs) When, when we were recording, before we were recording today, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be such fun to interview Hannah again. <laughs> such, we had such a great time the last time. We did. And, this was like two years
2: ago, right? About. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Coming up for two years ago. <laughs> and you were the first people I interviewed. So that was really exciting. as True. well. True. <laughs> <laughs> so we always ask. And we probably know where you are because you're probably still in the same place. But we're going to ask, where in the world are you?
2: I'm in my home, as uh, I'm sure a lot of people are right now, (laughs) still, but right outside of Zurich and Switzerland.
0: Great. And for the listeners, Hannah is Swedish.
2: I am from the beginning. That was a long time ago, though. So
0: So you... Tell, I think we'll start off by asking a little bit about your journey. And I think, you know, one of the key points about your journey is that you're a type 1 diabetic. And I think that is really key in this. But anyway, you tell us your story and how you got into low carbon keto.
2: Well, absolutely. And my journey into low carbon keto took a little bit longer than I, uh, in hindsight, would have wished. But I think that's true for many people. But I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was two years old. So this is itty bitty little thing um, and my mom had to chase me around with needles and syringes and insulin and back then in the 1980s you know equipment did not look like it does today these tiny little things that you know pump automatically insulin into your bloodstream and you know all these meters and stuff and continuous blood glucose monitors I know that you have some experience doubling in that yourself and um so it didn't look the same um then and also of course in the 1980s there was this huge i mean it was the height of the low fat era so people who were diagnosed with diabetes they were not allowed to barely even look at a piece of butter or you know think of whipped cream or um stuff like that so it was uh, everything was low fat meaning it was also high carb and for a person who um can produce insulin and cannot sort of take care of those carbs in their body. And especially when you're so tiny, well, also otherwise, but also when you're that tiny. Um, Yeah, it was a challenge. It was a constant struggle um, for basically my whole upbringing. We tried everything, you know, swapping insulin, swapping exercise patterns, swapping the type of carb, swapping the, the timing of carbs, you know, everything we really tried. And uh, it uh, never really worked out and it mm. got to an okay level. And, and first of all, growing up with type one diabetes and going into teenage years, that was a completely different beast to take, but um, it was so, it, it was never good. It was just, you know, meh, it was okay. I never really reached any sort of standards that was, uh, that I was supposed to. And uh, I, you know, sort of in terms of goals and, and blood sugar levels and stuff like that. And I much, much later, when I got a burnout from my then job, I uh, started thinking, what should I really do with my life? What what am I meant to do? Because this is this is ridiculous. Being an office monkey, sorry for those who like it, I did not. And, and copy pasting for eight hours a day, that was not really my thing. And so I started thinking what I really wanted to do with my life. And at that point, I had 26 years of reading nutrition labels basically experience of that and so I thought well hey nutrition that would be easy that would be easy for me to do to become a sort of nutrition coach and then maybe go into you know nutrition full-time and all this stuff but let's start with the nutrition coach thing and so I did and this course seriously it saved my life because at that time I was 28 years old and I wasn't sure I would see my 30th birthday and that Mm. was a scary thought that was a scary feeling that I didn't know oh okay will I actually survive these 2 years or will I not because my body was so tired and so like bogged down by all these ups and downs in blood sugar and and all these swings and mood swings and uh different therapies and never feeling really that I that I could do it that I could handle it that I could that I could that I was able to take care of myself in a way that I that I needed to. So we went through what insulin does in the body and how carbs react and you know, all this stuff. And my teacher says to me, you know what, Hannah, you don't even make this stuff. You can't make insulin because you're because of your type one diabetes. So if I were you, I'd really think twice um, what I put in my mouth. And that was really my my aha
0: moment. And I'm like, Oh, my God. So what was what was happening when you were 28? That was um, you noted that you thought you wouldn't live to see your 30th birthday I mean you said some of the things that were going wrong but why was it so dramatic that you thought you wouldn't have long to live what effects were you noticing I
2: just didn't I felt more I already felt more dead than alive I didn't have the energy to do anything I didn't want to all the normal things that you're supposed to enjoy in your late 20s, you know, go out with friends and, and you know, meet people and go to parties and be social and, you know, have goals and have a career and all this stuff. I had no energy for this. And I'm like, Oh, my God, if I keep going like this, I won't, I won't last much longer. And uh, whether that was mentally or physically, I don't know. But <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Because that was the ultimate feeling. I'm like, Oh, my God, I can't, I won't be able to make this and so I yeah so that course really saved my life Um, and I became a nutrition coach with passion and uh, happiness and joy uh, in the end and yeah I then I started really changing how I ate from day one and as we also talked about before the recording uh, gluten sensitivity or celiac and type one because they're both autoimmune uh, conditions often go hand in hand and I'm like okay well if gluten is not that good for autoimmunity then I'll just cut that out and I saw straight away in my blood sugar that, oh my god it's actually working it's actually getting better yeah. what is happening and uh, then I um, yeah and then I sort of got into the mindset of oh, but how low can I go? (laughs) (laughs) And so I started cutting out uh, more and more carbs. And the more carbs I cut out for me, and I know this is not true for every type 1 diabetic out there, not even every type 2, and that's fine. But for me, it was really the right choice because the more carbs I cut out, the better I felt. And the less strained my system felt and my body felt. And I really just could be there and, you know, actually start enjoying life again because I just started eating the right stuff for my body. So that's the
0: sort of short-ish version. <laughs> so where did that, where did that lead you? Oh, yeah. I In terms of career and what you do with your life and things like that.
2: Okay. Yeah. I started as a weight loss coach, but I was not having fun with that. It was not my passion in life. I, you know, trying to Uh, help people who have no weight to lose, to lose weight was a little bit, you know, against everything that I believed in and still believe in. Um, And so I quite quickly started focusing on chronic conditions, but no one knew what I meant about that. No one knew, no one understood what that actually is. So then I'm like, okay, well, why beat around the bush? Let's go straight on to what I actually want to do. And that is help people with diabetes to live a healthier and happier life. And so I worked as a co- diabetes coach, a holistic sort of lifestyle diabetes coach for a good couple of years, actually. And I've had some fantastic clients and amazing discoveries, recoveries, and uh, all of this stuff. And it's been, it was back then, I'm not, you know, discounting it for the future either, but it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. Um, and then I started doing more sort of group coachings in the same thing and, Then I uh, ultimately started the low carb
0: universe. Fantastic. Which is
1: a great segue because um, with the low carb universe, and you were building a great, or are building a a great community, and it's such a a really interesting sort of concept for um, low carb keto people to be able to come together and share, you know, an experience. So, and I know that you know, obviously. A global pandemic has put some put some plans aside. But um, you know, what's what's the vision now for low carb universe? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um I would like to,
2: well, because of these two uh years of a break that we're gonna have now, um, well, almost three in the end, but anyway, uh I would like to change the concept slightly, 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 still keep the pillar stones of, you know. Uh, Having a community, meeting in person. Can you imagine that? Meeting in person. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) In this beautiful location that we are in, uh, in Mallorca, in Spain. And, you know, I don't know if if, uh, the listeners remember, but maybe you even have some new listeners since the last time I was on. But basically, we rent a whole hotel and we eat together, we learn together, we exercise together, um, and we all stay at the same hotel. And it is a, if I may say so myself, a fabulous concept because you can really use it in so many ways. Either if you are a beginner to a real food lifestyle, you don't have to be low carb, you don't have to be keto, you don't have to be carnivore, nothing like that. Just as long as you're interested in a real food lifestyle you should and you really should come (laughs) join us uh, at this beautiful event and spend some time with us learning from some of the world's top experts in their fields you have direct access to them they're not it's not like a conference where you see them 15 minutes on stage and then they sort of jet off they're actually there for for the whole duration of the event which is normally a long weekend and uh yeah no I can't say enough good things about my own event I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it does sound fabulous. It sounds really fabulous. But
1: it's completely different to your regular scientific um you know conferences that you know I've been yes. to, you've been to and um yeah, it just is that sort of full immersive um you know experience which I couldn't think of anything, you know, so niche and different to obviously the regular sort of scientific conferences, as you said, the presenters are on yeah. stage and off they go. But having upfront and close, you know, contact, and you had some wonderful, you know, guests in your previous, um, your previous yeah. ones. In you know, can, can imagine the the weather in Mallorca would just be delightful at this time of year. So, Yeah. well, it's that last uh, last minute sort of vitamin D boost. Mm-hmm
2: before the winter. So uh, very happy about the location. Can't complain at all. And as I said, you can use it for so many things. Like you can use it as a kickstart if you're a beginner or if you are sort of a seasoned real fooder, but a little bit jaded, use it as a vitamin uh, injection (laughs) to kickstart your your future healthier life. Or, you know, if you're a professional and want to learn more of what is actually happening out in the world, you're also warmly Mm. welcome. So yeah.
1: But hopefully, as you said, like next year, when the world is in a better place, that um, yes, we have our fingers crossed, dear listeners, we have our our fingers crossed, um, you know, that obviously we can have have real face-to-face. But it's been an interesting time. I I don't know, you know, when we're sort of thinking about you, you were obviously with Low Carb Universe creating this community. How has it been for you, obviously, in the last, you know, 18 months, you know, to to be maintaining a community for yourself you know with your with your practice with your clients with your your colleagues how have you found community well
2: uh, for me it's been a bit different because i worked online for 7 years now so it's not that part wasn't really new but i have missed the exactly like these in person meetings the community It is harder to build a whole community like connecting one on one online. It's, it's that is, you know, that can be done. That's not a problem. But to really create this community feeling of, you know, oh, this person, oh, what have you done, you know, in the past since we saw each other last? That is really difficult. And I find people are maybe not as willing right now or anymore to, you know, share about what they're doing sort of within a community like that on their own social media pages that you know there's tons of stuff of all kinds of sorts and things but um exactly like in a community i think it's become a little bit harder and i think it's a little bit more difficult to maintain in this version uh even if you you know as many other events have um have decided to do to start you know having online versions of their events and stuff like that but there's no community feeling there Maybe, you know, a chat in a little window from when during one of the presentations. But apart from that, there's no real community feeling. And because community is so important to the low-carb universe, um, I've decided not to do that. But um, anyway, I'm actually, I don't know how to keep a community going. (laughs) Um, People get jaded of, you know, we are all on our fifth billionth Zoom call. And we're all on our sixty-seven thousand Facebook group, so it's just it, it can become very, very overwhelming. And trying to keep in touch with the whole community is is a little bit difficult. I have to
0: say. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I notice I I noticed. I've backed away from social media yeah. quite a lot recently.
2: Same. It's just too much. Yeah. It's just too much because people have no other outlets or haven't had any other outlets for the past eighteen months. Yes, things are getting better now. But with no outlets, you know, you just see the most incredible stuff sometimes (laughs) that people
1: sharing like, wow. It is, you know, it is hard. And I think, I mean, why you're saying that in some, in some parts of the world, it is better. And, you know, that's, I'm just sort of talking to my Australian family at home, you know, and that's really, they're going obviously through another Another wave of the of the pandemic, and it seems to be obviously, as you said, swings and roundabouts. Since as I started my my Zoom calls this morning at seven thirty, and I, and they'll be going to nine p.m. tonight. So all I can say is I won't be getting any too many steps today. Um, so it is, you know, I think you're right. There's a fatigue, and I don't know if for yeah. you in your in your client practice whether you've seen how clients have responded. Have they either doubled down and have taken some time to be mindful with their approaches to eating or have they been um you know throwing the toys out the cot you know and they've sort of you know thrown everything to the wind? I think those two camps are very although
2: very different I think they're very interlinked because I don't think you can really have one without the other. I think that um and from what I've seen both online and, and elsewhere you can be very diligent and you can really double down and you can eat all the clean healthy foods and do all the exercises that you need to do and all the movement and all the sort of home workouts and all this stuff but at some point there will be a setback it doesn't matter because you can only keep yourself motivated for that long um if i'm completely honest about it <laughs> um and i think it goes in waves it doesn't i don't think I've seen anyone who is, has thrown everything out and just be like, you know what, meh, I don't care anymore. And I also don't think that I've seen anyone who can just keep up this amazing, rigid structure of their day um, every day, day in day out either. So I think uh, they sound very really different, but I think they're quite quite similar. That they need each other somehow. Which well, is, we
0: just- yeah, I was just going to say maybe the people you're seeing are the ones who are working on themselves and wanting to get better and and I'm quite I'm quite a middle moderate person that says you know a a bit of each works well for me um whereas I would say 95 percent of the time I stick to the plan but there still has to be that five percent where I wander off and come back and it's just create it's creating a new normal really we talk about new normal in terms of covid but I don't want that to be a new normal. I want to go back to the old way. Um, but it's about creating what's normal for you going forward, yeah. which is very different to what it used to be.
2: And I also think, in order to, that's life. I mean, things go up and down in waves in life too, whether that's with health or any other part of your life, it's going to go up and down anyway. And I don't see how it's, it would be even possible, to be honest, to have a completely linear, straight, Ascending, you know, path on health at all times. That that's not possible because healing from anything, whether it's emotional, physical, or whatever it is, health-wise, it goes like a roller coaster. It's up and it's down and it's upside down sometimes, and sometimes it's right in the basement. and Some days it's on this twenty-second floor. Like it's not, it's not linear, and I don't think it can because nothing in life is. <laughs>
1: no, it's very true. Sorry, which is really interesting because Jackie and I we started a hundred-day challenge. So on our hundred day um, alternate day fasting challenge, and it was really interesting because, as you said, you know we were gonna we were gonna stick to the plan. The plan was to be for a hundred days and do alternate day fasting. And it and again, it wasn't the same. So Jackie had obviously different different sorts of parameters, and but I was able to do alternate day fasting. So. As we're going along, you know, Jackie didn't see the same gains as what I was doing. But even still, mm. for those 100 days, mostly, apart from a few weekends away, little city breaks, it was, you know, mostly sticking sticking to the regime. Mm. But it was interesting because I knew that one day it was my, my up day. I could eat and I would really look forward to eating and I had two meals a day. And then the next day would be the down day, which would be the fasting day. And that pattern, as you said, you know, up, down, up, down, up, down, gave that sort of sense yeah. of I wasn't rigid. I mean, the only rigidity was day zero to day 100. But having the flexibility yeah. uh, to, to do that was, was really good. So much so, um, my partner wanted to do a abstinence, um, you know, for we're here in Thailand and um, it's Buddhist Lent. So, and you give up things in Lent, as you do for most Christians. Yeah. Um, but Buddhist Lent runs for another 88 days. So he wanted to give up alcohol, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you know, sucking a bit of joy out of my life. Um, but maybe that's, that's the tell. Especially during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but that's maybe the tell. Maybe Louise, you need to give up alcohol. But, um, we have found some substitutes with some zero beers. Heineken does a zero beer, which isn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, but again, it's, it's another sorts of up, up and down. Um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, the, yeah. the rigidity uh-huh. in flexibility can be too constraining. Yeah. And I think, as you said, yeah. being mindful to, you know, we have all these extra stresses on it, you know, in various parts of the world with lockdowns and restrictions and, yeah. and things like that. And,
2: and added to that, that I think it's so important and more important than, than a lot of people realize is to be kind to yourself. And especially when going through something like, you know, global pandemic that is, you know, just halts everything. Um, or if it is a health journey, or if it is recovering from something, or if it is getting back to yourself, being kind to yourself is, you know, I even get goosebumps. <laughs> it's everything, you know, it, it's the cornerstone for me in so many of these uh challenge the challenges that we take on either by force or by ourselves that we have to get through and compassion self-compassion and self-kindness i think are huge and much more than they are given credit for
0: Hmm. yeah and you've been studying
2: oh yeah tell us us about your studies i will absolutely yeah because when uh, covid hit I realized that about 80% of my business uh, was in-person, either speaking gigs, uh, workshops, organizing events, or, you know, the like. And I'm like, oh no, what do I do now? You know, when it had dragged on for a good couple of months, I'm like, okay, so this is not temporary. It's not the two weeks to sort of break the curve and, or whatever, stabilize the curve. This is going to go on for a while. So I'm like, okay, well, I need to do something. I can't just sit on my bum and hope for the best. <laughs> That's not going to hold. I'm not going to be able to do that mentally and uh, or emotionally or spiritually or anything else. So, I thought about it and I got back to something that I thought about a couple of years ago and I'm like, a couple of years ago I thought, you know what, it would be really cool to have, you know, a proper education in diabetes. It'd be really cool to have, you know, some weight behind my words. Uh, what i'm what i'm talking about anyway and have a little bit of weight so that people understand that this is not just a n equals one patient story this is actually someone who understands what they're talking about and so i applied on a whim <laughs> i can say that now because i got approved or you know and i got accepted uh, <laughs> i applied on a whim with fantastic references from amazing people but to a master's program uh, in diabetes at actually the University of Leicester in the UK. Yeah. So it's a part-time two-year master's program, and I um, I'm surprised. I'm now you know a year in almost uh, ten months in, and every lecture I learn something new. Wow! In every you know, reading whatever. I don't know how many scientific articles I've read or how many more I need to read, but it's a lot of them. And I learn something new everywhere. And this is after having lived with this stuff for 36 years personally and worked with so many people, you know, hearing their stories, their experiences, their, you know, tips and tricks um, you know, p- putting puzzle pieces together. And I'm still learning something every day and I'm like, wow, that was a super or it has been a very humbling experience, I have to say, to
1: just realise that I know nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's really interesting when you take on this student journey and as the teacher, you're now the student. So it's a really great role reversal is what you're saying. It's so insightful to take the student journey. The more you know, the more you don't know. Exactly. Absolutely. It's it's an old cliche but it's so true. So <laughs> what's resonating with you in terms of as you said you're learning something new every day. It's really humbling. But is it, it are you applying it to yourself? Um <clears throat> No, <laughs> it's the short version. And I will tell you why.
2: It's because we've gone, uh, it's it's a very practical course. It's a very, you know, it, this is actually for healthcare professionals who want to dive deeper into diabetes. It's not really for the lay people such as myself. So there's a lot of science and there's a lot of you know, all this stuff, but in a very practical manner. And I, I love that about it. If it was only, you know, pure physiology, I'd be like, you know what, you can just know, <laughs> I'm not going to do this. But um, we've learned a lot about different medications. Uh, we've learned a lot about um sort of, well, now, right now, the module is on complications of diabetes, which is not very uplifting, especially not if you live with diabetes yourself, being told that you're going to die in every lecture is not, you know, the most uplifting part, but, you know, have to see it on a sort of bit of a distance and a bit objectively. So, um, yeah, the only thing I think I've uh, changed because of this course is to, I still have a slight high blood pressure, so I still have a bit of a high blood pressure medication. Everything else, apart from insulin and this slight high blood pressure, everything else is normalized thanks to eating the right stuff for my body. But this thing is a stubborn little thing that just doesn't want to go away. And I started taking my medication in the evening rather than in the morning because nocturnal uh, hypertension is more damaging, uh, apparently, according to studies. So that's what has changed. <laughs>
0: So that's the heart, the blood pressure medication yeah, you're taking exactly. in the evening? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So because it's based at the University of Leicester, are they using like the Eat Well plate? Are they using like UK guidelines or are they using Moore's World guidelines for how to manage eating for type type 1 or is it type 1
2: or type 2 diabetics? Are they focusing on? No, it's
1: all all diabetes. Okay. <laughs> all types of diabetes. Um,
2: and, yes, we are, of course, encouraged to look at uh, different versions um, of guidelines. So the ADA, the NICE guidelines, the you know, all of this stuff. But, yes, the E12 plate, which is sadly doesn't look any different in any other guidelines, um, is the only thing. It's the is only is thing. that is that not frustrating for you? Heavily. But, uh, and this is why, you know, I don't know. At the same time, when I realize that I don't know anything, I also sometimes feel like with this whole real food eating and low carb for, for diabetes and then um, wonderful advancements and, and even studies that are coming out on especially type 2 but uh, and low carb, you know, I feel like I'm sitting on some sort of vault. <laughs> I'm like, have I just, you know, am I, is this, what am I either, what am I missing or have I just uncovered like the biggest amazingness when it comes to diabetes care? And I mean, because it is for me, like it's the one thing that has really, really revolutionized my own management of diabetes uh, is eating low carb, but then why isn't it talked about? Why are there no like we've had one study on the reading list that concerns low carb so far in ten months, and you know why isn't
1: it bigger if it is such a if it is such a an amazing revolution, then why isn't it bigger but is this as Jackie said, this must be so frustrating for you, so you've had one reading in ten months. How is it that you can engage not only with your peers but with obviously the professors? The lecturers, you know, your tutors, with with the material outside of the prescribed curricula, how, how do you think? must be so frustrating. I twist it. You do good. I twist it a lot.
2: I uh, now I'm giving out all my secrets. I hope no one's listening. That I'm studying with,
1: <laughs> but you know, for example, maybe they should listen. Yeah, maybe they should. should. Maybe they this should be part you. of the prescribed curricula. <laughs> should <laughs> um,
2: uh, no, but I I twist it and I sort of say. These Because all of the studies that uh, are done are done with people who have a higher than normal uh, HbA1c, which is the average blood sugar for the past three months, approximately, in a very, very, very simplistic way. Um, And every person with diabetes has this measured, uh, at least annually, if you're type 2, and if you're type 1, then more often. But, you know, they all start at and the the criteria for diagnosing uh, diabetes is a uh, a1c of 6.5%. and that is their sort of in the studies that is the normal glycemic as they call it level. but i'm like mm. but that's already diabetic.
0: yeah.
2: that's already a criteria for diagnosing diabetes is an a1c of 6.5 or higher then how can you claim that that is normal glycemic? So my twisting powers (laughs) come into force and I'm like, well, you know what? If we are discussing this study, what if there was a way to have truly normal glycemic people with diabetes without hypoglycemia when your blood sugar goes too low? You know, what would the the study show then? You know, so I, I tried to twist it in there without having to mention you know, the 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 code words of keto, low carb and everything else that is not so appreciated, maybe um, in all circles uh, and especially not medical ones. Um, and so and then in every essay and assignment, I'm actually planning my next one or actually I'm deep in <laughs> the next one already. And, you know, in every, you know, they ask you to think outside of the box. And I'm like, well, could this person just try keto <laughs> based on this and this and this study? There are, you know, it has been shown that a ketogenic diet could actually take care of this stuff. But, mm. you know, as a suggestion, as a kind, you know, outside of the box, mind-blown thinking uh, rather than a, this is the truth. And because if I go in with that attitude, I won't win anywhere.
0: No. Even on social media, I won't win with that attitude. So, <laughs> But you must have loads of client client studies, case yeah. studies that you could refer to i mean i've got one client at the moment who started this time last year just a bit and so september last year so this will be coming out the end of august um with a hba1c of nine and then she emailed she actually put a post on facebook for all her friends that she just got she's 6.2 that's amazing what an yeah. amazing incredible oh that's a, yes. that's so cool I love and from fatty liver disease, she um which she got in two thousand and thirteen and the doctor said it just kept going up. So she had a biopsy and it kept going up and up and up. So her ALT was sixty three mm. and it's now fifteen. Wow. And the the liver doctor said she's completely normal, don't bother to come back. Yeah. So I, I just don't get how the medical profession just ignore this. Yeah. I don't know that there's bigger things at play than
2: I I, I really don't know what it is because while, you know, for example, the ADA has admitted that, yes, you know, it is an alternative. That's fine. um, But they keep on claiming that there are no studies for it, you know, apart from the whole time of evolution, but you know, who cares about that? Um, But what I don't understand is there are no studies on the food pyramid. Zero. There's no experience. There's no nothing. It's just a. we've all been part of this experiment since the 1970s. Yeah. And look where massive, that got us.
0: Yeah, massive guinea pigs and hasn't served us very well. I would agree with that, yeah.
1: But do you think that there is, obviously, as you said, there's no experiments, but there's been lots of epidemiology? As you've said, you know, we have these population hmm. studies which looks at, obviously, you know, describing prospectively that, you know, we've tracked, you know, framing him, you know, the Women's Health Study, Nurses' yeah. Health Studies, those sorts of things, mm. you know, that there have been population studies, but nothing, as you said, that has actually looked at, well, let's change this population versus this population and see how we exactly. go. So that's, I think it's on a scale, the scalability of, you know, what we're saying is is perhaps yeah. outside the reach of, you know, conventional sciences to do that so that's why we've relied so heavily on describing population health which is like on a report card if you got that from your your child from primary school would be really bad as you said it would be pretty pretty poor (laughs) yeah but I'm, i'm i'm also
2: happy to see that there is more and more research being done and more and more studies being published on how low carb can help, especially, well, for me, you know, cl- very close to my heart, people with diabetes and, you know, studies like the Verda study or studies or, you know, all of these things that are that are actually, they do show that it does work. But I, I just don't know where, where it's, you know, there's some link that is missing for, for some, if not most <laughs> medical professionals to, to sort of get it.
0: Mm, maybe it's just time. Yeah, probably.
1: But Jackie always sort of says that this is a groundswell sort of movement, that it has to come from, you know, the consumer, the user, the patient group, and it has to be. um, Similarly, what, you know, Jackie being a PHC UK ambassador. So it's part of that patient participation group. Say that quickly, Louise, patient participation group. So when the ambassadors are actually entrenched in, you know, the, the local areas, that it is that groundswell advocacy movement from the bottom up as opposed to coming the top down. But it's also, as you said, like Verda has done these studies. They are longitudinal. They have been two years. How long is, you know, a piece of string? How much data do they need to make these informed changes? (laughs) Exactly. But as you said, ADA has been a little bit more open and receptive to using Mm. um, in a prescriptive way, you know, individual prescriptive way. It's not a one fits model, even though the diet pyramids are, uh, except for diabetes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, that there have been a little bit of softening of of the guidelines mm. somewhat. So that's – I think there's a glimmer of hope there somewhere.
2: Yeah, it will come. It will come slowly, but it will come, and as you're absolutely correct in saying that it will come from the bottom up and not from uh, top down because there's just – Sometimes I feel like there are a lot of sort of tunnel vision up at the top and, and seeing something that you're not used to seeing or, you know, seeing something that is quote unquote new when it really isn't. But, you know, um, it's hard to grasp. The concept is is going to be harder to grasp when you are so involved in uh, the the current guidelines and the current, you know, ways of doing things. Rather than, you know, when you are a patient and you are desperate and you need to find whatever it is that works for you, you have a different motivation. If you have a, a you know, set rule book of how things should be done in, for example, a condition or, or you know, a, a, an acute something, and that's where I think they're still right in acute medicine. But, you know, in chronic condition, I feel like, or treating chronic conditions, I feel like the healthcare system has failed a lot of people because they are so, so uh, sort of one tracked about what should be done and what, what can be done. Whereas when you, as a patient, are feeling that, oh, I'm coming to the end of my ropes here, what, I need to do something. I need to do anything to make myself feel better. Then you are. Uh, in a different position to make your own choices. And I think that's very, very important when you are faced with a chronic condition to really, after the initial shock, of course, of the diagnosis, but you need to find out what works for you as an individual rather than, and that might not be low carb, that might not be keto and that's fine. It can't be for everyone and that's completely okay. But, you know, at least it should be presented as an option up on diagnosis and then people can make their own decisions and that's fine but at least not just scoffed away as a no we don't do that or you know all the other terrible things that i've heard that people who are newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes who get exactly basically the same actually they get worse (laughs) advice than i got in 1985 or my family got in 1985 because now they just get you know you can eat whatever you want and take insulin for it it's fine and yeah, while that works for some, they are very limited. Yeah.
0: I remember you saying in our last interview how angry you were about um, the fact that it wasn't even given to you as an option. Yeah, exactly.
2: And, and, I, and I still am, but maybe maybe I've uh, calmed down a little bit about it because I realize now through my studies, I also realize the the body of evidence that low carb science is working against and is quite substantial and that's i also that's also where i think there's no point of being angry because <laughs> i i just see because now i see what the healthcare professionals get to hear mm. and absolutely if you don't know anything else you're gonna eat that up you're gonna swallow it whole with hairs and feathers
0: yeah.
1: Which is really interesting. Sorry, which is really interesting for you because you're actually on the dark side right now. So you've been crossed over <laughs> to the dark side. But it's almost like an intelligence <laughs> gathering. So you've gone covert, you know, Hannah's gone rogue. But while you're deep undercover, and if you can hear the messaging, as you said, now you can actually start to formulate some of the counter positions, the counter arguments, not only from your, as you said, N equals one lived experience, you're the black swan and you're you're riding high in the flock of the white swans. But now you can actually see, hear and, you know, be immersed in what is the science. But you know it differently. So but you need to go back and sort of put it into their speak, put it into their language and sort of be able to come up with with the counter position, which is very brave of you to be sort of, you know, every term you must be rocking in the corner going oh my god (laughs) what now
2: i'm not sure if it's brave or just stupid
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're stupidly brave you've gone bold and you've gone hard young lady yes (laughs) maybe it's that (laughs) But, but the point is that you know while we know what the actual you know we we know what the Has been doled out, you know. The dietary guidelines, these are the prescriptions, these, as you said, the the chronic disease rule book that have carbohydrates, you know, and titrate insulin to the the units. Yes, sir, no, sir. Three bags full, sir. But for you, it's about how am I going to sort of put that into that square peg into my round hole and you know, and see if we can build a bridge, you know. And that's a very a very brave place to put yourself into, or stupid. But mm-hmm. thank you.
2: <laughs> no, I mean definitely, and that's also part of the reason why I'm doing this. I mean, what person at the at this age free willingly takes on a master's education? Um, that's another brave versus stupid argument. <laughs> but you know, we can talk about that later. Um... <laughs> Louise, Louis I'm doing as well. study as
1: well, so <laughs> single. You know, s- single parenting. Yeah, but you know, it's basically. Or well, it's certainly in lockdown as well. So it's just basically you either make sourdough <laughs> um or or you do a masters. So, you know, anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Banana bread or masters. Yeah. Actually I saw I saw a post on, on Instagram the other day where it's
2: like, if you haven't gotten a pet, a baby, or moved houses, you know, make some noise. And I'm like, Done a master started a masters? <laughs> Does that
1: count? <laughs> but anyway. I made cheese as well. So I've done cheese. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. Look at oh, that. New hobbies and, and, all yeah, around. And learned language. Ah. It's, yeah, but it's... I started a podcast. podcast so. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, I learned a language too, yeah. Oh, what did you learn? Spanish. Ooh, hola. Oh, ah, well.
0: Que bien. Que bien. Gracias. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to go back to, because when I, when I was growing up, and maybe it was just the times, maybe it's just because we didn't know. But I don't think until I was in my mid to late teens, I didn't know anybody who had type 1 diabetes. And then in my mid-teens, my sister had a friend who is was type 1 diabetic. She's now had a pancreas mm. transfer and I think she's fine. You know, she's doing well. Um, But recently I keep hearing about young teens becoming type 1 diabetic and we spoke about my friend's daughter and we'll give a shout out to Scarlett, who is coping with this new diagnosis you can do it Scarlett. (laughs) yeah promise you (laughs) but of course she's getting all the standard information she's 15 years old and um has a lot of you know peer pressure to conform and to fit in how does someone go about dealing with that do they to be completely honest i think it first
2: of all it is such a shock it is such a shock because the the onset of type 1 is usually very quick so it is within days if not hours you notice that okay something is really wrong and something is going to go down here and um, so because of the the speediness of of sort of the the development of things it becomes such a big shock, and especially at an age of 15, that is anyways, whether you are you know, diagnosed with a chronic condition or not, that is so delicate, that is so insta- unstable in that way, that is so driven by hormones already without one of the big ones just not working anymore, which is insulin. It is a huge thing. It's huge. And it I mean it took me well first of all when I was diagnosed I was so small so I didn't have to take care of myself. Of course I couldn't. There was no way I could give myself injections at 2 years old or check my blood sugar or whatever. So my parents took over that for a good yeah until I was 10, 11 and then I started you know actually injecting myself and then cuz I was hugely terrified of needles. Anyway, that's quite the the fun part as well. And so um, and that meant that I didn't really get the chance to accept it because I wasn't faced with it, really. Someone else was taking care of it. Some other people were taking care of my health for me, so I didn't have to face it. So I would say my di- diagnosis only came when I was 10, 12, something like that, when I started taking more, um, sort of more responsibility myself. And that went straight down south uh, very quickly. And I, for most part of my teenage years, well, from 15 to maybe, yeah, upper teens, 15 to maybe 20, 22, something like that. I just ignored it. Mm. I just didn't want to have anything to do with it because it, it, only then did I sort of, re- and especially with, you know, teenage hormones and all this stuff, only then did I realize what big of a thing this actually is and how much it impacts. And instead of being brave then and facing the music, I stuck my head in the sand. And I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Um, yeah. And so and so, it took me seven plus years to actually accept the diagnosis at all. And I think that is something that is definitely not. I mean, now it's coming more. And now that I get to see the, the guidelines and I get to read the sort of uh, healthcare professional Suggestions and all that, and they they advocate for multidisciplinary teams so that there is mental health um, in such a, you know, chronic condition team in, in a diabetes team. And that's fantastic. Everyone needs one. Everyone needs someone to talk to who is not their parents who doesn't get, you know, uh, worried straight away or, you know, doesn't get upset straight away when you tell them something or, you know, um, worries themselves sick for one stupid dumb blood sugar reading. They need everyone who lives with a chronic condition, needs someone to talk to who is impartial. Yeah. And it has nothing to do that you're, with that your mental your own mental health is bad or, or that you can't cope on your own or anything. It, it has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with you need an outlet. You need to vent. And that is actually, in my coaching experience, that is actually the most thing I did. I didn't actually you know, tell people what to do with their blood sugars after they had gotten the initial sort of, okay, well, maybe, you know, look at your carb count sort of thing. And they they got comfortable enough playing around with that on their own, which it's not for everyone either. And, you know, definitely talk to your healthcare professional about it before going with some uh, uneducated coach. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's actually all I did. Most of the time, I just sat there and listened to people talking about their experiences, their problems in all of this stuff, rather than actually helping them with their diabetes. It was the mental health side of things. And to get to talk to someone who really, truly understood what they were going
0: through. Mm. It's it's massive, isn't it? It is massive.
2: And I will
0: happily, happily, happily talk to uh, Scarlett whenever she wants to. (laughs) Because as I said, she's also now been diagnosed or... The first diagnosis of celiac. Yeah, and so that adds another layer of complication when it, especially when it comes to teens, because they want to have pizza and they yeah. want to have this. And we know that gluten free is available in a lot of places. But it tastes it's, like cardboard. It tastes like cardboard, but it also has a lot of carbs. Yeah. So what they replace it with still has a lot of carbs. Because I have another friend whose son has been diagnosed with Mm. celiac Mm. and she has as well subsequently because the whole family got tested. But I see they're just replacing the gluten with some other grain. And that doesn't help and it particularly won't help with um, type 1 diabetic. And
2: then usually what these um, gluten-free products are made of is basically just corn uh, flour. tapioca and oh, that yeah. goes out yeah and and it goes out in the in the bloodstream even quicker than just wheat so it's actually more it has more of an impact on blood sugar
0: yeah
2: um and that is uh to me you know if if someone has has type 1 and celiac i mean low carb is the only mm-hmm. the only one that actually eliminates or helps both not eliminates but helps both um but you know that's up to each and every person.
0: So, well, when I started asking the question, there were, there were sort of two parts of it. So, are we seeing more type one diabetics now than we were thirty years ago, forty years ago? I, I don't know
2: actually. Uh, yes, prevalence has gone up absolutely, but I don't know if it is a, it's easier everywhere or it's more available everywhere to diagnose them. Whereas before, mm-hmm. they would just basically live for a couple of weeks and then you know move on uh pass on um or if it is you know cuz the 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 cause of type 1 is so widely discussed i mean there are theories of everything from purely genetics to genetic with you know some sort of um some sort of trigger to you know all of these things to just randomness to you know there's so many theories out there um but what they all agree on so far that i've read is that there needs to be an environmental sort of trigger for the immune system to overreact and therefore attack the insulin-producing cells in the pancreas. And I've been thinking about this, you know, a lot of times. I'm like, these cells are, like, tiny. There are quite a lot of them, but they're tiny. Why exactly those cells? It could be any cells, but why does the immune system choose... To attack exactly those cells, hmm. it's so weird to me. <laughs> it's really weird because there are so many other cells that you could attack, but no, apparently those are look
0: the dodgiest, I guess, <laughs> like intruders. Yeah, but then other people have all other alters. Absolutely, positions. absolutely. But so therefore, they're just attacking some other part.
2: Yeah, but you know, because we're talking about you know the prevalence of type one being uh, higher. Now, um, there's also a theory about that it is vitamin D deficiency, which is why we saw, especially, you know, in the 80s and 90s, saw so many cases of type one in Finland, for example, because the air is basically dark nine months a year. (laughs) And then there's day round sunshine in in three months of the year. But um, that's also a theory. And if it's connected with that or not, no one really knows for sure.
0: Mm. Further investigation needed yes definitely
1: just to circle back you were we're talking about um you know newly diagnosed as as scarlet is and how important it sounds like that community and having like-minded obviously community members so it seems to be that we've circled back to the low-carb universe community is obviously an important role for (laughs) you know not only just for for yourself as being a type 1 diabetic but but nearly diagnosed um, type 1 diabetics they need a need a community because it is such a yeah. experience and as you said it's an individual experience and particularly for those that are teens mm. and I remember an Australian uh, Beck Johnson and she was a swimming a swimming type yes. 1 and she was yes. sort of saying how she was working with a particular charity or non-government organization in sort of supporting young people with who were newly diagnosed with with type 1 yeah so yeah we all need our little individual sort of you know tribes to connect and share Absolutely. and support and um and certainly from low carb universe it's it's been a wonderful a wonderful community you know to that you've created so thank you for that Uh oh, thank you for for acknowledging that That's, that feels great after a two-year break now
2: <laughs> but yeah i mean type one community that is really really important and There are a few different ones, but definitely the biggest one is the DOC, which is not the Department of Corrections, but but it's the diabetic online community. And there are so many amazing people, low-carb or not, doesn't matter, but share, you know, about their life with diabetes and making people feel like they're not alone, which is so, so important. And whether it's, you know, low-carb community or type 1 community or diabetes community and all, the important part is that to to acknowledge that you're not alone. Everyone is going through, if not the same, then very similar things. And they have these feelings and these feelings that you think that you're so alone with, these big thoughts that you're sitting there with, you know, oh, am I going to go blind? Oh, am I going to have to have dialysis? Is my foot going to get chopped off? You know, all of these things, these wonderful things that I've been studying for the past 10 weeks. Um, And, you know, and having those fears seen and heard by others who know, who understand what, what they are going through. That is, you can't, you can't, you know, exchange that for anything in the world, let alone a, a, you know, healthcare professional who knows diabetes by the book and knows what to do in medical situations, but sort of the emotional, the, the practical, the day-to-day things, they might not have that big of a clue about. So that's where I really, really enjoy. Um, being part of the diabetes online community.
1: But it must be equally as special mm. sort of being able to tell people that it's not the chronic progressive disease that it needs to be, that there are resources and there are ways of doing things slightly differently to obviously mm. what we're told. Where, you know, for, obviously for type 2, um, it can be put into remission. For type 1, it can yes. be well managed. It doesn't have to be, as you said, you know, limb amputation, blindness, deafness. Um, mm-hmm. dialysis so that must be do you feel yeah. quite powerful in that way no <laughs> uh,
2: not really because these things still happen to uh, another cliche but these th- things still happen to good people sort of thing and then just because yes you are reducing your risk Gosh. of going blind That's dialysis yeah. amputation and all this stuff But they're not excluded, Mm. even if you have a fantastic control of of diabetes, which is difficult to get, first of all. And it's some abysmal percentage of people with diabetes who actually even reach the very, very generous, generous guidelines, whether it's the NICE guidelines or ADA or, you know, whatever, um, who actually reaches those those, uh, suggested goals. And this is where the ADA has taken it even further, and they've really said, you know, yes, it has to be decided on an individual basis. Not a population basis, but, yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. but but we, we know that high blood sugars, and especially a very swinging blood sugar up and down, up and down, up and down, is so damaging. Then how can you say that, you know, potentially for someone uh, that a... HbA1c of 9, like in your, your uh, client, uh, Jackie, um, how can you then say that that's okay for someone? Unless it's, you know, very special circumstances, end of life, or, you know, all of this stuff that it doesn't, you know, you know it's not, that's not what's going to kill them, <laughs> sort of thing. But how can you then say to a reasonably young type 1 or type 2 diabetic that 9.0 is fine? Okay, it also depends on their starting point, of course. Mm-hmm. If they start from an A1c of 15, then 9 is amazing, absolutely. But just as a maintenance thing, I feel that that's all. That's I don't think that's good.
1: It was interesting when we interviewed, and Jackie will remember that we interviewed um, GP Ian Lake, and he was a type yes. one diabetic, and he was sort of saying that in the NICE guidelines, and they were recommending particular thresholds of which, like eighty yeah. eighty five, Jackie was it percent, don't even reach you know, that they set yeah. these arbitrary sorts of thresholds for, as you said, normal, you know, blood sugar ranges for type 1s. But, you know, in their metrics, in their data measurements, 85% of the population of type 1s don't reach that exactly. because they're, as, you know, therapeutically, um, you know, blood-managed, blood glucose is managed much higher. Yeah. And the more higher it is, as you said, the more damaging it is. It's just crazy. And And how... And how
2: daunting is that? If you, when you follow the healthcare professionals, uh, you know, sort of guidance and their suggestions and their, you know, okay, you should do this and you should try this and, and you follow it to a T mm, and you so still don't reach those yeah. goals, how demotivating is that? Mm. No wonder people don't, you know, care anymore, mm. don't give two mm. rats asses because they just, there's no point. Mm. They won't yep. get to those very very liberal in my opinion um mm-hmm. th- thresholds that
1: you know it, it's just it's
2: mind boggling
1: as a master's mm-hmm. student, if you started out in your semester knowing that only fifteen percent are going to pass, you know eighty five percent of yeah. you are going to fail of course you you know would you sign up for that probably not <laughs> yeah that's just mm. I'm way too no, much no, of a was, I'm way too much of a perfectionist <laughs> for that. <laughs> I can imagine a (laughs) high-need achiever with perfectionistic tendencies. I think all grad students are good like There you go. There you go. (laughs) So, Hannah, where can people contact you, your social media? Where where can people find you online? Yes, I
2: am basically everywhere, but mainly on Facebook and Instagram under Hannah Diabetes Expert. I'm sure you have links uh, in the show notes, as well as my website, of course, which I still have a... On and off blog situation going on, <laughs> and of course check out the Low if you would like to join
0: us next time. Yeah, hopefully twenty twenty two. Yes, fingers, toes, everything crossed. Do you think it'll be the end of twenty twenty two or the beginning? It's the
2: same uh, same week in November. In November, yeah, mm. yeah. great.
1: That should give pl- people plenty of time to to sort of think about yeah, obviously being able to. To get to Mallorca exactly. and look forward to some sunny weather in Spain—that sounds just wonderful. Yes, and some beach time
2: in November. Who can claim that? <laughs> yeah. So before we finish, would you leave us with your three top tips? My three top tips. Uh, the one I always share is that there's always something you can do, and uh, no matter how far down you think you are, it uh, doesn't matter if you are. You know, think you're too old, too sick, too whatever insert thing that you think you can always do something to improve your health. Um, I think there are many, many ways. Number two is I think there are many, many ways to uh, tweak your health journey, whether it is through low carb or not, but because we're on this Fabulous and Keto podcast, then in low carb, there's many things that you can try (laughs) to tweak your journey because. As we also said before the recording that, you know, skipping the carbs is the easy part. That's the easy part. The 80% is actually in tweaking it so that it works for you. Long term makes it into a lifestyle for you. And that includes everything from supplements to um, what proteins to uh, exercise schedules to Uh, hydration to mindset to stress um stress relief to you know all of these things and they have to fit you rather than you have to fit some setup scheme by someone else number three would be find a community that supports you Don't join one blindly and not knowing what they're going to say, what they're going to do. Just observe them a little bit and then, you know, make your entrance. Because if you are in a community who are all hardcore carnivores and you actually quite like your big salads, that's not the right one for you. Or if you are a, you know, high carb eating um, type one diabetic who covers everything with insulin and that works for you, absolutely go for it and, you know, enjoy it. But then maybe don't join a low-carb group for type 1 diabetics sort of thing. Mm. So find the community that resonates with you and has sort of a similar
0: view on life as you do. Yeah, great tips. Thanks. And um, it, that all comes, it, it all sort of pulls together, doesn't it? So the, the community with the tweaking to affect you, because there are some communities that are very hardcore yeah. and you have to do this and you have to do that. And if you don't comply, you know, that doesn't fit. You then, that's not the place to be. Exactly.
1: But in fairness, there are some people that like sort of the rigidity and the rules and that sort of stuff. And you know, Jackie, Jackie's the moderator. I'm the abstainer, so I can see that rules work for me. And Jackie's okay in the grey zone, so you know, that's that's fine. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, that, and that's what I mean
2: to find what yeah, works for you. Absolutely. Um, that sort of spans over all, mm. <laughs> all, all of my advice because I'm also. Rather an abstainer because, of course, as soon as I start eating carbs, then I'm on a wobbly path to terrible blood sugars, and that's not worth it for me. So, yes, I Mm. prefer not to eat that many carbs. It's not a no carb, I don't eat no carb, I eat low carb, plenty of uh, fresh, uh, wonderful, colorful vegetables and stuff. But, yeah, no, some ground rules absolutely are great, but then you know, bend it and fix it until you
0: get to where you need to be. Yeah. And then your first tip about um, we'll there's always something, always something, you can something you do do do
1: to prove you have. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So I knew that, but I forgot it in the second. <laughs> um, so then there's, and going back to your first tip, because um, I know somebody at the moment who is at very end stage of liver disease mm-hmm. and, Part of me thinks whatever you do now will be better than doing nothing, right. and you know maybe that person is in a place where they just think I don't want to do anything. But and that's you fine. Know, that's up. That's up to you. Yeah. So it all comes together. Yeah. Thank you for being with us. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. we have to get your next video yes. again.
1: Yeah. Come on. Let's do it. <laughs> well, we've got to do that in the lead up to hopefully. Yeah low carb universe 2022 two two Two. yeah Mm. time flies (laughs) thank you thank you thank you jackie it was really interesting after hannah's interview to really follow up and start connecting as she does you know putting some pieces you know of the puzzle together And listeners will remember that we've interviewed Ian Lake, another type 1 diabetic, a little bit different to to Hannah's experience, whose diagnosis was when she was two years old, but Ian's was a a little bit later. And obviously um, if the listeners will remember that Ian Lake is also a general practitioner who really emphasised about these particular targets. So let's put the pieces together. Similarly, Hannah said that her HB1AC, before changing the way she eats, she never met those targets. And you could hear, I don't know, Jackie, did you pick up on the frustration in her voice at, again, not being given a real food approach as an option? Yeah. Because, you know, those vascular complications, you know, even though she said, I may well still get them, but... I want to delay and have the quality of life. And, you know, that frustration and anger, disappointment, concern that her health is being compromised because artificially her HB1AC is obviously inflated by eating carbohydrates and covering it
0: with insulin. Yeah. I mean, the when we spoke to her, when I spoke to her a year ago, two years ago, she was really angry. She was still really angry. And I think... I just don't know why they won't offer that as an option. Not everyone will want to do it. Not everyone will want to take it up. But why don't they offer it as an option?
1: That It has been an option, well, you know, outside of obviously standard of care because we know Dr. Bernstein and that's where, you know, Dr. Ian Lake sort of found his sort of, you know, reckoning and awakening that Dr. Bernstein has obviously been doing this for, you know, a number of years. But again, that's outside the mainstream and it's obviously In the US principally, but obviously his community, his type one grit, you know, particularly for kids has obviously grown over the years as well. So it was interesting, Jackie, when I was, you know, preparing the show notes for this week and it was really following up a lot from what Dr. Lake and what what Hannah was saying about the NICE guidelines and revisiting, obviously, the publications on the nhs.gov.uk type um, publications about what the NICE guidelines are actually advocating for, obviously, you know, those thresholds and the data that comes along with that. And both Dr. Ian and Hannah are absolutely right. These thresholds are consistently not being met. How awful that must be for the. Um, let me just read this here: the two two hundred and eighteen thousand six hundred and seventy type one diabetics in the UK, when you know the majority of them aren't meeting the thresholds.
0: Yeah, and that's that, that's terrible. And then these, these, most of them, I think you said it was about sixty five percent are children that are diagnosed as type one diabetics. And if they're not getting the right advice when they're that age and their parents are not, and so then they're having scary moments with hypos and having to manage it all and work out the food and how much insulin they should take and is it the right amount and what they're eating, that is really hard for both parents and children to to cope with and it sort of feels like they're being let down left, right and centre.
1: Yeah, it must be. And I think as you as you mentioned, and, and certainly from Hannah's experience, from two years old, you know, having to be continuously sort of, you know, eating and covering that with insulin. With that looming of the vascular complications, obviously looming on the horizon um as a downstream effect of being const you know constantly therapeutically managed at a higher than you know threshold um HB1OC so i think it's it's must be you know almost such as she said you know a relief that her body is no longer tired you know that she has this will to live and i think for me that was such a profound sort of statement of you know, reawakening that she's had this second chapter is absolutely wonderful that she's found something that works for her. And as you said, rightly so, it's not going to be working for everybody or not for all type one diabetics you may not want to choose that particular path, but at least it's an option. And I do hope Hannah has sort of is able to integrate the stories and the messages coming through from her studies in a way that she can sort of, you know, challenge it critically. In a positive in a positive way she's done, twisted twisted the stories a bit. To suit yeah. to suit her, her practice.
0: Think outside the box. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully she'll go on to influence some others to jump outside the box with her.
1: Well, that would hopefully be at the Low Cup Universe um, you know, next year in, in Mayorca, so I hope that that sort of gets off the ground again. It sounds like a wonderful event.
0: Yeah. I've heard I've heard a few stories from it so um, yeah it sounds fabulous
1: so Jackie where can we get the show notes for this episode
0: so show notes are at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero five one. okay thank you it would be great if you could support us through patreon go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto, and you can choose the monthly amount you wish.
1: Can you recommend a guest we can in interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation.
0: Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is fabulouslyketo. Or follow us on Instagram, fabulouslyketo1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If
1: you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all.
0: Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice, whether our guests are doctors or healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories, and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.